Welcome to the study of the book of Revelation, taught by Michael Fitzgerald, senior pastor of Clifford Baptist Church. These lessons come from a Wednesday night study of the book, so the format is more of a classroom setting. Included in this Revelation series are written study notes, which can be accessed with each lesson in the series. We are in the process of studying through the book of Revelation step by step. And we are deep within God's prophecy right now as we are approaching the halfway point of the book in chapter 10. Uh, We have been studying up to this point the terrors of the great tribulation uh, and the unbridled wrath of God that He is delivering to unrepentant, hard-hearted sinners. And that's on your sheet. Uh, As we think about God's wrath being delivered to this world and poured upon this world, I remind you again of a truth that is overarching that you and I must bear in mind because the world can read Revelation and say, this is a picture of a cruel God. No, it is not. It's a picture of a just God. God's love is perfectly balanced with justice. It is His right and authority to save anyone who will come to Jesus in belief. But it is also his right and authority to pour judgment upon those who will not come, who refuse to come. And that truth can be hard, but remember it is because our God is love, but is also tempered with perfect justice and righteousness. Now, if you remember in chapter 5, Jesus receives from the hand of God a scroll of ownership of all the earth, of all the universe uh, in creation. And of course, if you remember in the Gospel of John, the first chapter, it says that Jesus was there when all was made. Not anything was made that was made outside of the presence of Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus was there as the universe was created. However, as we see him take this scroll from the very hand of God in chapter 5, what we're seeing is that Jesus Christ has earned the right to possess the scroll of ownership because of his death and his resurrection from the grave. He has earned the right to be Savior of men and women and to be the Lord of all the universe. This scroll that we see in chapter 5 contains God's final commands regarding this world and how it is going to be brought into righteousness uh, from wickedness. The scroll, if you remember, is sealed with seven seals, and only Jesus can open this scroll. As we see the picture of God preparing to hand the scroll to the Lamb, we think about the fact that all of heaven laments No one can open the scroll. Remember, all the patriarchs are there. The disciples of the Lord are there. No one can open the scroll except one. And that is Jesus the Son because he has earned the right to open the seals of the scroll. Seven seals that is rolled up and each one is opened one by one. As as you open one seal, you roll it back to the next seal. Then you open the second seal until the scroll is finally completely unrolled. So Jesus is breaking the seals one by one, unrolling the scroll, and with that, as the seals are broken, the great tribulation is poured out on the earth, revealed as Jesus unrolls this scroll, unveiling the entirety of it. Remember that the scroll is written on both sides. It is full of the will of God. It is full of the love and the justice of God as well. So, seal by seal, the scroll is being uh, being broken. 
Now, at this point in chapter 10, as we approach chapter 10 tonight, where we are, all seven seals have now been broken. All seven seals are now opened on the scroll. When the seventh seal is broken, the worst of the great tribulation is poured out on the earth. We know it is going to be horrible. We know it's going to be terrible. If you look back at Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, it says this. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. Now, as we discussed that passage a few lessons ago, I remind you that I believe heaven is a place of joyful noise. There, it is a place of praise. It is a place of hallelujah. It is a place where the angels are constantly saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I believe that heaven is going to be a place of joyful noise, joyful uh, exaltation of the Lord. However, when the seventh seal is opened, the awe of what is happening as the great tribulation is poured out fills heaven and every resident of heaven, from those who are saved believers there to all the angelic forces of heaven, everyone is hushed because of the awesome force that is going to be released on the earth through this seventh seal being broken in the great tribulation. We find that when the seal number seven is opened, that that tribulation is carried out by seven angels blowing seven trumpets. And with, with every trumpet blast, God is pouring out His holy judgment upon unrighteousness and wickedness and sin. Now, we have looked at six of the trumpet blasts through chapter 9. We have not gotten to the seventh trumpet at this point. But when it is blown, when trumpet number seven is blown, that then brings seven bowls of wrath that will be poured out. However, the blowing of the seventh trumpet and the seven bowls of wrath being uh, poured out is on down the line. We're not going to cover that tonight. That's in a further sermon uh, down the line. Uh, through chapter 9, what we see is God is allowing this old earth to die. And up to the trumpet blast of number 6, God has allowed one half of all unsaved humankind to die as well. So all that remains of God's wrath now being poured out is the seventh trumpet blast. And that will take place in chapter 11, beginning with verse 15. We're not going to get there tonight, but we will consider that a little farther down the line. Tonight, we're going to look at the entirety of chapter 10. This is an interlude chapter. That's on your sheet. This is an interlude chapter. In other words, we're not describing tonight the progression of the Great Tribulation. This is an interesting chapter, and we are going to read it together. So if you have your Bible, open it with me, and let's hear the words of chapter 10. And as we begin this reading of the Word, I remind you again of chapter 1, verse 3, that says, when we read the book, we are automatically blessed. So tonight, you have opened your heart and your life and your soul to blessing just because we're going to read chapter 10. So hear these words from God's Word. John writes, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head, and his face was as it were the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book open, 
And he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot on the earth and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roareth. And when he had cried, seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them not. And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven and swear by him that liveth forever and ever who created heaven and the things that therein are and the earth and the things that therein are and the sea and the things which are therein that there should be time no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth, And I went unto the angel and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it and eat it up, and it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up, and it was in my mouth sweet as honey, and as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. May God add his blessing to the reading of this precious portion of his word through which we are blessed simply because we have heard it tonight. John says he saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. Now that might seem like a simple statement to you, but that little verse has been the source of great commotion and discussion among conservative theologians. Some theologians say that this is an appearance of Jesus Christ. Others say, no, this is not the Lord, this is not Jesus appearing, but rather this is an angel of God coming from heaven. Now, I like what J. Vernon McGee says, because I, I like it because I agree with him, But I want you to hear this description of what J. Vernon McGee says about uh, this angel. J. Vernon says, There has been definite disagreement among outstanding Bible expositors as to the identity of this mighty angel. Some identify the strong angel as Christ. Others consider him to be just an angel of great power, but not Christ. If you go with either crowd, you'll be in good company. If you follow those who believe this is an appearance of Jesus Christ, you'll be in good company. But if you want to be right, you'll come along with me on this. And I I like the way he put it. McGee believes that this is not an appearance of Jesus, the Son of God. But rather, it is a great angel of power from the angelic force of God. And after studying this scripture, I agree with J. Vernon on that. Jesus never appears as an angel in Revelation. Now, it's true in the Old Testament, there are times when the pre-incarnate Christ is called the angel of the Lord. 
But after Jesus was born on the earth, after he came to Bethlehem, and after his ascension to heaven, there is never another instance in the Bible where Jesus is referred to as an angel. And you'll also notice in verse 1 that this angel is called another mighty angel. Again, I believe that that description says this is not the one Son of God, but rather this is another angel. The Greek word translated another means one of the same kind. So there are, I believe, billions of angels in God's angelic force. So this is one of the same kind of God's created beings that we call angels. And as I see this figure in Scripture, I... Agree, I do not believe that it is the Lord Jesus, but it is an angel of God, a very powerful angel, uh, but not Jesus. Now, McGee also says that this angel is wearing a very special uniform of God. Uh, He is wrapped in a cloud, that's on your sheet, as a sign that Jesus is going to come soon through the clouds of glory. His helmet is God's rainbow that recalls the promise of Noah. That God may destroy the earth, but it will never be by flood again. The angel's face shines like the sun because this angel has just come from the presence of God. If you remember in Exodus chapter 34, the very same thing is spoken of Moses. When Moses is in God's presence, when he departs from God and comes to the people, his face is shining. This angel is shining in his face because he has just departed from God's presence. Also, the angel had legs and feet like pillars of fire, which means God is going to carry out his promise, and the pillars of fire signify that there is no turning back now. God's will is set, it is defined, it is going to happen, and the pillars of fire say that God is not going to change his mind on this, but rather his will and his judgment is going to come with sure resolve. It is going to happen. There is no turning back, no U-turn now. You'll notice as we've read the scripture that this angel holds a little scroll that has been opened. That scroll is the same scroll that holds the seven seals, the the scroll that Jesus took from the very hand of God. But remember, when Jesus took the scroll from the hand of God, it was sealed with seven seals. Now we see it as an open book. It has been unrolled. It has been revealed. It has been opened. Uh, This is the same scroll that Jesus opens to reveal the great tribulation. Once sealed, but now it is an open book. Uh, That scroll passed from the hand of God uh, as a sealed document to the hand of Jesus. Jesus unseals it, and now Jesus gives the scroll to the hand of this angel as an open book. The angel holds the open scroll. You'll notice that he has a foot on land as well as a foot on the sea. That indicates that God has dominion over all creation. There is no part of the earth and no part of creation that God does not have dominion over. Then the angel calls something out with a loud lion's voice. And as he calls, peals of seven thunders break forth with an announcement of God. And here's the old apostle John, you know. John is writing down these heavenly things. It's amazing what God has asked John to write so that we would have the book of the Revelation. So John rips his pencil out and he is ready to write it down as he hears the seven thunders. But God says, seal that up. It is not to be revealed. You're not to write down what you just heard. 
So the angel speaking as it comes from seven thunders uh, was not recorded by God's direction to John. It's the only place in Revelation where God tells John, do not write that down. Uh, It's interesting that in this place where he is forbidden to write what he hears or what he sees, God obviously does not want us to know what that angel said. So there's no discussion. Uh, One day we will find it out, but uh, we're not to know it. We're not to even speculate on it tonight. But this mighty angel raises his right hand to heaven, and he brings an oath, O-A-T-H, an oath before God Almighty. The Bible uses the word swear, but it is an oath before God Almighty that the seventh trumpet is going to sound very soon. And God is going to finish his judgment of all the earth at the end of the great tribulation. John is watching this mighty angel. He has laid his pen and his writing materials aside because God has told him not to write what he has heard and seen. That's the only occurrence in Revelation. You'll find that. And his eyes widen now as God Almighty speaks to the disciple John directly. And God says, go get the scroll from the angel. Now, I can just see John now. I put myself in his shoes, you know. John was just a human being. Uh, He was a great man of God, but he was a human being. And God Almighty speaks to him. He's like, you talking to me? You want me to go do that? Kind of in bewilderment, you know, that God has pinpointed this man to go get the scroll from the angel. But he goes to the angel. He gets the scroll, and the angel says, I want you now to eat the entirety of this scroll. It will be sweet in your mouth, but when it hits your stomach, it's going to become bitter. It's going to nauseate you. It's not going to be pleasant. It will be pleasant in your mouth, but it will be unpleasant, nauseating, bitter when it hits your stomach. And John ate it, and he said that description was absolutely accurate. It was sweet to the taste but bitter to the stomach. Now, what does that mean? What does the sweetness and bitterness mean in prophecy as uh, John eats the scroll? Well, I believe it does certainly have great meaning for us tonight. This act of eating the scroll illustrates how you and I take in God's Word. You know, basically what we're seeing here is that John was internalizing the Word of God, literally As he ate the scroll, he was internalizing the Word of God. Every time you and I open God's Word and read it devotionally, every time we come to uh, be together in Bible study or to study prophecy, be it Revelation or Daniel or any other book of God's Word, we're internalizing God's Word. We're bringing it in. He's, He's planting it in our mind and in our hearts that it will not leave us. And I believe truly for the student of God's Word, he does internalize his word in you and me so that we can bring it back to mind. So we, in, we memorize it, we internalize it, and the word tells us what our response to God's judgment is to be when it comes to unsaved family, when it comes to unsaved friends. We believers take in God's holy word, and we're filled with a sweetness and an anticipation that one of these days, all of these words of promise is going to be, or will be, are going to be fulfilled in our lives. 
culminating with the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to take us to heaven to live with him for all eternity. As sad as it was for the Gallier family to lose Oscar, there is a security and a peace in knowing that God's word has been fulfilled in him because tonight Oscar is home. And the sweetness of God's word is sweet to this family because they know that their father and their friend is now home with the Lord. However, when we truly digest the word of God, we come to realize that those who reject his word and reject the Savior will spend eternity in hell. That's bitter. What we know that is truth. God's word is bitter for the unbeliever. Uh, God's word presses you and me on to reach out to the unsaved in our life because we can look down the corridor of history and see the bitterness coming in their life. Seeing the separation from God that's going to happen to them if they don't turn their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have a sweetness of knowing that we're saved and that we're heaven bound and that we're secure. But then there's something in us when we know someone we love very dearly who is not saved, there's a bitterness in that because we know what their future is going to be. The Word of God is truth. Ladies and gentlemen, we can't compromise what it tells us. And that is exactly His truth to us. God promises to save the believer. But within this Word, we see He also promises to punish the unrepentant. To punish that one who has rejected His Son. So we are filled with a passion to share the sweetness of salvation with the lost so that they too can share the sweetness of God's word and God's promises. If that, urge, if that urgency, if that passion is missing in you or me, then there's a disconnect with God's word in us. We need to know the sweetness of the word, but we also need to be pushed out of our comfort zone sometime to be a witness to that, of that word to a lost world, to those lost people in our lives who love us uh, and we love them. I remember years ago, uh, a young lady, she never was a member of this church, but I knew her quite well. And after we established a relationship, she came to me in tears one day uh, and she said, you know, I'm saved and I thank God for his forgiveness of my life. I've not deserved it. I can look in my past and see things that I can't believe that the Lord would forgive. But he's forgiven me, and I know I'm saved. But I have reached out. I've witnessed to my father for three years. And he, every time I say the word Jesus or salvation, he shuts me down. And he won't hear it. He rejects me. He's rejected the Lord. And he did that all his life, and now he's gone. He passed away rejecting the Lord. She said, my only hope is that in that last second or two before he crossed over, leaving this earthly life, perhaps he said to Jesus, remember me like the thief on the cross. Save me. She said, that's my only hope because the last day that I was with him, he continued to reject the Savior. My hope is, the, is, is based in the last few seconds of his life that he changed his mind. 
But nobody knows that. He didn't give anybody that indication. But that's my only hope that may be in the last few seconds. But if he never did, I know my dad is going to spend eternity in hell. Her father's rejection of Jesus brought her to tears over and over again because she'd taken in God's word. She was filled with its sweetness because she was saved. But the fact that her dad's life ended with what seemed like rejection of Jesus caused great bitterness in her, in her, in her soul because she knew she'd never see him again. We should be filled with a passion, a desire to reach out with the Savior. If you or I have no desire to reach out for the Savior, something's wrong. Do I hear an amen? The Bible teaches us what is sweet and what will be bitter. And we need to have that passion to reach the lost because forgiveness and salvation is very, very real. But so is judgment. I want you to look at the last verse of chapter 10. That's verse 11. He said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. God gives John the disciple the command to continue to prophesy. If you remember, John was an old man when he was on the island of Patmos. The Roman Empire put him there, believing they would shut him up. He would never be able to preach again. He was uh, taken away from society. He was living a lonely life on the island of Patmos on a prison island. And yet God tells him, you're going to prophesy to nations and kings and peoples. For you and for me, Christians, we take in the Word of God. We're taking in this study of Revelation and we know that God's glory is going to be fully revealed one day. And we wait on that with sweet anticipation. But in this day and age, God's word should burn in us and stir us as witnesses. Let me, let me tie back to a passage in, Revel, uh, rather in Daniel that I studied but I've not preached on yet. It's the last verse of chapter 8 in Daniel. When Daniel received God's prophecy through visions and dreams about the Antichrist and what the world is going through. Again, the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation hold hands in so many ways. But when God shows Daniel what's going to happen at the end of time with the revealing of the Antichrist and all of the horrors that's going to go on in the world, here's Daniel's reaction. Listen to the last verse of chapter 8 of Daniel. And I, Daniel, fainted. And was sick certain days. Afterwards, I rose up and did the king's business. And I was astonished at the vision, but none understood it. But listen to the first. It says, I, I was so upset by this prophecy of God that I fainted. And for days, I was sick. Daniel was filled with the sweetness of the Spirit of God. It's throughout the book from the very beginning that Daniel had the Spirit of God in him. He was filled with the sweetness of God. But when he heard the bitterness of punishment to come, it literally made him sick. You and I should have that feeling of passion toward a lost world. Uh, it amazes me. Uh, just this week, I know you've heard about it, uh, the first major player 
uh, in, in professional sports has come out as being gay. And all the world is gathering around him, patting him on the back, saying, congratulations, you finally, you finally came out of the closet, and you made your stand, and we're so proud of you. In fact, I heard on the news that President Obama called him personally and said, I'm proud of what you've done. Ladies and gentlemen, that should stir us. That should stir some passion in us because it is directly, diametrically opposed to this word of God. We can't be proud of those lifestyles. They're opposed to the word of God. You and I, according to the book of Revelation, need to take a stand in this world and we need to be witnesses to his truth. Never back down, never whitewash it, and never compromise. That is the challenge, I believe, tonight. Another passage that I love, I believe, that's connected with this, when it, we're talking about how God stirs us to be his witnesses, Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, says this. If I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding it in, and I cannot. Jeremiah says, if I can't speak the word of God, it is like a fire that burns in me that's got to get out. That's the passion that you and I are to have as well. Nothing has changed in these many centuries. When we know the sweetness of God's word, we should not be able to hold it in. I pray that tonight, beginning with me, we are stirred to be that kind of people in this world. Carrying the sweetness, knowing the bitterness, and wanting to draw a world to Jesus Christ. He is the door. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And we cannot stand idly by and watch our world be lost. We are to be out in it as witnesses. Tonight, if you are here and you have never received Jesus as Savior, He is waiting for you. He has done all he can do to bring you salvation and forgiveness and to promise you heaven. He went so far as to literally die on the cross with your life on his heart, your sin on his shoulders, and he wants you as his son or his daughter. If you've never done that tonight, you can say yes to him. And eternity will change for you from bitter to sweet.